You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, episode 71. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there and welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holfe, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. Well, this episode um, is a little bit different than some of the episodes that we've done in the past. Uh, And I say different because it's a topic that we haven't really broached at this point within the, well, I guess we're over 70 episodes now of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. But it's one I think that um, that really needed someone to come on and and take the time to explore it in great detail. And um, I'm obviously I'm not keeping this much of a mystery because the title <laughs> clearly indicates it's caregivers. But uh, I've never had anyone come on and really talk about it at a level that would be of benefit to not only practitioners, but the individuals themselves. And over the years, the caregiver program has gone through a number of different iterations. It's been renamed, you know, live-in caregivers, caregivers. And now yet again, the government has tried to tackle just a really, really difficult area um, uh, within its immigration programming. And, And that's how to deal with these caregivers who come in in a way that protects them and their rights, um, that keeps them safe, but at the same time meets the tremendous need that uh, many Canadian families have for support. And within the new program, um, the uh, guests that I've invited to join me uh, takes a great deal of time. And don't be scared when you look at the length of this. If you at all practice in the area of, uh, of caregiving um, and assisting both families and foreign caregivers, you definitely want to pay attention to this because I'll be honest, I haven't had a guest who's gone into the depth and extent um, you know, that he did to provide step-by-step guides on how to do this. So uh, I don't want to, I keep tripping over my words trying to explain what is to come here, but it's worth it. And so if you do practice in this area, you definitely want to listen to it. Now, obviously, the guest that I've invited on is Matt Aronson, and he is a Quebec-based immigration lawyer who has uh, extensive experience in this area, and he was so free in sharing it with all of us. So without me um, tripping over my words like I am today, boy, some days are better than others, aren't they, folks? Um, Let's jump over to that uh, interview that I did with Matt um, right now. Well, I am here with uh, Matthew Aronson, who is practicing with the firm of Odesky Attorneys in Montreal. Welcome. How are you, Matthew? I'm great, Mark. I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Well, I'm super happy to have anyone I can get on the podcast from Quebec. I, uh, as a practitioner here out in the rest of the world, I rarely have much um, interaction with all things that go on in Quebec, except for my little foray out there about three weeks ago, I guess it was, to uh, 
attend the Acadie conference and it was just, I was blown away. It was an amazing experience. I'm not sure if you, were you there, uh, Matt? No, no, unfortunately I wasn't there at that one. Um, but I do try to make a habit of attending conferences and events of that kind where we can meet other practitioners like you. I, you know, I'm, I'm here as a desk attorneys, but I'm the only immigration guy in the office. So it's always good to, to meet other people who, uh, you know, can, can, uh, can commiserate a little bit about the practice and share and exchange tips. And uh, well, that actually, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to discover your podcast. I've really been enjoying it. I'm going back through all of the old episodes, back to like I don't know, 2016. <laughs> and uh, so to be here with you today is a real is a real treat for me. Hey, well, that's great. Well, I was really happy when you reached out to express an interest in covering a topic which we have not yet covered to this stage, and that's the the world of caregivers. And so we'll get into a little bit more detail shortly. Sure. Um, about what we'll actually cover in this episode, but I want to give the listeners just a little bit more background about you and and uh, and your your uh, history as an immigration attorney. And sure. um, so uh, one thing Matt has indicated to me as I was just going through his bio, you know, he has a pretty traditional uh, immigration practice full of visitor and study permits and work permits and permanent residence. But he, he said he has a particular specialty in obtaining work permits mm-hmm. and PR for in-home caregivers, which is a perfect fit for what we're going to talk about today. So I look forward to, to Matt's insight on that. Um, however, I always get people to give me a little bit more information about themselves and the kind of things they're involved with. And, and uh, one of the things that um, uh, Matthew had told me about was this, uh, these maker labs um, that his, mm-hmm. his family owns. It's a family business. And... Uh, can you talk a little bit about this uh, Maker Lab community workshop? Sure. So um, I wish there were Maker Labs. Right now, there's only the first one. Uh, it's in the neighborhood of uh, Notre Dame des de Grasses, uh, NDG, in Montreal, which is kind of the West End, sort of more Anglophone end of Montreal. And uh, it is a uh, it's a makerspace, which is kind of like a gym, but go, instead of going there to work out, it's a place that you could go to to make or build, design or repair things. So and anything from a lamp that's malfunctioning in your home to it's a crazy idea for a new widget that you've come up with that you want to build, uh, Maker Lab is a place that you could do that. Very cool. And you know when when you were talking about that a little bit earlier, I couldn't help but think of um, you know there was a YouTube channel, um, The King of Random which mm-hmm. my kids would, would watch. And it was all about, you know, kind of tinkerers, guys who wanted to find out how things work and kind of deconstruct things. And, you know, things are, 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 are just really understand the world of science in a different way. And um, uh, this uh, Grant Thompson, who was the founder of that channel, and this is kind of a little bit of a sidetrack, but it just made me mm-hmm. think of it. You know, he, he was really inspiring to, to kids, you know, to get into this kind of stuff. Because often... At least when I think of the workshop and, and uh, the, you know, that you have there, you know, the most often response when something falls apart is throw it away and buy something new. Right. And, right. and largely because it's, you know, the inner workings are, are somewhat of a mystery to us. And by the time we try to find someone to fix it, it's cost more to, to fix it than it does to repair it theoretically. Right. Exactly. But, but to have something like this is so cool. And, um, you know, this, this King of Random channel, it's, it's still functioning, still going. I think there's whatever, how many millions of subscribers to it. But, uh, but I met that, that grant down when I was attending a social media marketing world conference in San Diego. And unfortunately he, he, uh, he really liked to, um, to push the limit and he ended up getting killed in, in, in an accident. I can't remember if it was some kind of paragliding or something like that. And, Oh, and no. so when I, I think about that kind of legacy and the things that uh, that anyone does to encourage 
um, you know, creativity and courage, just understanding the world and especially the world of science and, and you know, uh, engineering and all these electronics, whatever it might be. Um, I am awful at it. I'm terrible. My brothers are really good. I'm a farm kid, but I did not bring any of that, uh, you know, practical understanding of the world with me. I'm so one dimensional, but it's so cool that your family does that. So what, what started it? Well, actually I have the exact same situation over here. I I guess this is why we gravitated towards law. Um, so I'm, I'm the lawyer in the family, uh, but I've got two brothers. Uh, and one of them, uh, my brother Dan, is a tinkerer. Uh, he was that kid who, you know, as soon as he'd get his hands on something that he was curious about, would take it apart and then and then sometimes be able to put it back together. <laughs> yeah. um, my, our dad is, a, is an architect who's become a general contractor. So that we were always sort of, you know, in, in the world of, of things being built or taken apart. But it was really my brother who picked, picked that, uh, that, that up and ran with it. He's a very talented artist, but a couple of years ago, uh, as he was finishing his fine arts degree, uh, he decided that uh, though fine arts are, you know, really uh, something to feed the soul, he also needed to feed his belly, and so <laughs> yes. he uh, he got a degree in toy design, and uh, and that's really a, a sort of a subset of industrial design, um, and he became very good at at uh, prototyping things, and he got a job here in Montreal for a toy company, and one of the first things he did here was build out their prototyping lab, and after working for them for a couple of years, uh, and really enjoying uh, doing that, he wanted an opportunity to try, try and bring some of his own ideas to life. But the problem, as, as you may know if, if you've ever um, dabbled in any labor or intellectual property law, is that if you are working for someone else and using their tools in their <laughs> workshop, they own whatever you build. And so he started looking around for a place where he could do this. Um, you know, the living room wasn't the best place, especially as he had a, a little one running around. And so, uh, you know, couldn't really find anything. And reali- we realized that there was a, an opportunity in the market here. There are other makerspaces in Montreal, but ours is the only one that is sort of uh, not affiliated with a school well, formally affiliated with a school or a library or run by volunteers. We're, we're just a, a privately incorporated social enterprise. Um, my youngest brother, Alex, who's a banker, also got involved and helped us on the finance end of things. And his wife, uh, Liz, my sister-in-law, uh, was an expert in startups and uh, and public relations. And so we got together as a team, uh, brought my dad in and built out the space and, uh, and, and opened to the public about a year ago. And uh, so we've been having a lot of fun as a family, making and building and, and creating things. And, and I got to do all the paperwork, which is the part that I'm good at. Um, and I'm learning some things about actually building and making things as well, but I, I, I leave that more to the expert uh, because uh, I, I tend to, you know, to be a beginner. And when we're helping other people learn things, I just sit back and watch. Very cool. That is so awesome. I'll make Thanks. sure that we put a link in the show notes uh, for those who are listening on iTunes. You can go to the Canadian Immigration Podcast dot com website and just go to the show notes and i'll make sure that i have a link there so that you can check this out so very very cool cool. thanks awesome okay so let's shift gears here matt so how did you get into immigration law Mm, uh, like many immigration practitioners, I came, yeah, I got into it kind of by accident. Uh, I started at a big corporate law firm uh, right out of, uh, of law school. And I Which one were you working for? And uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, uh, but I, I realized really quickly that um, the big corporate law firms were not the place for me. Uh, I, I didn't like that lifestyle very much. I didn't find it very good for the soul. 
And so I started looking around for some other things to do, and I, I spent a little time in a litigation boutique, and that was interesting, but it wasn't for me. And, and eventually, I, I got really lucky, and I got a job at uh, one of the larger Canadian immigration practices, at least one in Montreal, mm-hmm. at uh, uh, Campbell Cohen, yep. which is known online as CanadaVisa.com. Yeah. And uh, I was very fortunate to work with some really great immigration professionals there as I was figuring things out. I spent about 18 months in that office. And um, and uh, and then around the time that my older daughter was born, um, I got a job offer to, to leave uh, um, immigration and, and go into uh, – a, a, join a private equity firm doing something completely unrelated in real estate law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a, it was an offer I couldn't turn down, uh, given where I was in my in my life. Uh, but about four, four years later, um, I things had sort of settled down at home a little bit, and uh, I was able to uh, take the opportunity at that time to go back into private practice. And I joined Ken Adesky at his firm, Adesky Attorneys, and he had a little immigration practice that was, you know, was was doing its thing, but it wasn't really growing because there was no one to pay full attention to it. And as I had some immigration background, uh, I said, hey listen, I'll, I'll take this and run with it. And he said, you just, you know, go knock yourself out. Like, if you, this is what you want to do, you do it. And, um, and I remembered that, uh, you know, that one of the things I really loved about working in immigration law is that unlike most areas of law, if you are doing your job right, then everybody wins and no one loses. So your clients win, the country wins, uh, the immigration officers are happy because the work that you've put together makes their lives easier, and um, and and of course you know the 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 firm is happy because we've got a a, a nice little practice going that that uh, helps people and and also you know gives us a job to do that's meaningful. So oh, absolutely, uh, I rekindled my love of immigration law, and here I am now being the head of the immigration department at Adesky Attorneys. Cool, very very cool. And as you've listened to many of the past episodes, when I asked that question to most most of us, the response is almost identical. We kind of stumble yep. upon it and then realize, you know, that we actually have an ability to, to make a difference in people's lives and to uh, just, you know, have a practice that we can, you know, that we can really be um, satisfied with. And, and, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, obviously it's stressful. There's no doubt it is. We're, we're dealing with people's lives, but, but the end result, when you've helped someone to realize their, you know, their dream in many cases of immigrating to Canada or, uh, whatever the, the end result may be, there's just so much, um, appreciation and you just, yeah, it just makes it all worth it. So, Oh, absolutely. And, and even then, you know, in terms of the stress, I like to think about it in terms of, you know, there's, yes, you're right, absolutely. There's 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 no doubt there are times when this is a very stressful uh, practice area because if you make a mistake, a big mistake, well, a little mistake can turn into a really big mistake. So we've got to be, you know, really diligent. But I like to think about that stress as stress that my client would be experiencing that I can take off, take, yeah. take for them. And, you know, I can carry that stress because I've got the confidence of knowing that I've had some experience and, I, and I've got a resor- you know, resources I can call on and... Uh, and at least it can, you know, I can provide the service of not only doing this, this, um, doing this legal work, but also to be a comfort to people who are in sometimes in a very vulnerable situation. Because uh, you know, if if you are, especially if you're already here in Canada and you need to try to figure out what to do in order to stay or to continue to work, or you find yourself in a situation where things aren't working out the way that you'd hope they were, uh, having a resource to go to can make the a, a real difference, not only in terms of getting that end goal, but also having a quality of life um, and not, you know, being, being up all night worrying about what's going to happen to you and your family and, 
you know, if, if all these sacrifices that you've made or are trying to make are all in vain. Yeah. So I, I do try as much as possible to uh, to be a comfort to to the clients as well as being a legal practitioner. Yeah, and, and I'm makes, sure and I'm sure you do too. Yeah, exactly. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. That's a nice segue into our topic because I don't know of any particular group or class of of uh, potential immigrants that has gone through more suffering and oh. more stress and more uncertainty in their lives than, than caregivers. And, uh, so the government now has, has tried once again to, mm-hmm. uh, to put together a new pilot and now they've basically called it the home child care provider pilot and home support worker pilot. And uh, I think it's a five-year, if I'm not mistaken, pilot somewhere around there where they can try this, this new model of, uh, of assisting with uh, families who are in need of, of, mm-hmm. um, of caregivers to support their, you know, their, their needs of their children or, or uh, those who need uh, you know, more adult care. Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, not exploiting the individual caregivers themselves or you know, putting them in vulnerable positions and giving them some level of, of protection against that, that kind of pattern that used to exist or, you know, to a large extent may still exist within, within that whole industry. So mm-hmm. can you give us a little bit of an overview now about, about what this, these new programs look like and, and, Absolutely. and the qualifications for them? For sure. So the caregiver programs in Canada stretch back quite a long time, longer than I've been in practice. Um, and one of the rules, of course, is that every time they bring in a new pilot, they, they create some weird synonym that's sort of like caregiver, but it's not exactly caregiver. So it used to be way back, we had the live-in caregiver program. And then that became the in-home caregiver program. There was a, a pilot that ended this past summer for in-home caregivers. And now that pilot has ended and we've got this new program called the, the, uh, the home support or home child care provider uh, program. And it all basically means the same thing. We're always talking about the same people. Uh, these are folks who are willing to come and take a job here in Canada to, uh, to work in people's homes, providing care for children uh, or for uh, people with high medical needs uh, or and or uh, people who are of advanced age and need, need a little help around uh, around um, you know some basic uh, you know functioning in their in their homes and in their lives so we're not talking about a housekeeper uh, it's got to be something more than that it's somebody who's really there providing care and that's why you know the the the, um, the shorthand for this has always been the caregivers we talk about the caregivers so you know you ask a good question who are the caregivers well these are people who are coming to work in Canada and you've got to have some experience in this you can't just decide one day that this is a, a, a route you want to take and you're gonna go and 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 and, uh, and be a nanny or be a uh, you know a, an elder care worker and just sign up you've got to have some experience in NOC 4411 or 4412, which if you look those things up, there's dozens of, uh, of synonymous uh, titles. But the things they all have in common are for 4411, it's, it's folks who are nannies or uh, caregivers. Uh, for some reason, they've, they put doulas into this um, category sometimes, uh, au pairs. Uh, it's a little bit more advanced than babysitting. It's not the sort of thing that you'd hire, say, a, a neighborhood teenager to do. Yeah. Uh, it'd be the type of person who is either living with you in your home or is coming to spend significant time in your home 
uh, caring for your children. Uh, and then, of course, 4412 is the same thing, uh, but caring for adults with either high medical needs or, or because of their advanced age. And usually those folks have some form of nursing background. Uh, so these, in many cases, in fact, caregivers are actually nurses in their home countries, uh, and they come to Canada and take jobs as caregivers, um, partly because they have a job offer or because the education that they have isn't sufficient for them to be able to, to work in Canada as nurses. But this is very, very close, and it can be a bridge to being able to start a new life in Canada. So uh, those are the, the general um, population that would, would take these jobs, but it's, it's not sufficient under the new program or even actually under the old programs to just have uh, some experience in being a caregiver. You, you also have to be able to document that experience. So if you have spent 20 years taking care of your nieces and nephews and children in your home country, but you've never been paid for it and have no record of, of ever having done this work, then unfortunately, you're not going to be able to get through the, uh, the the system. You need to have some qualifications, and you need to be able to demonstrate those qualifications with some kind of documentation, either through your education or from being able to show past experience from with, with, uh, with, with letters of reference or contracts uh, or tax records showing that you've been paid for your work or, or some combination of all those, all those things. Um, and you, you need a couple of other things if you want to come to Canada to be a caregiver. You also need, under the new system, you're going to need to be able to show that you have an, an education that's equivalent to at least one year of Canadian post-secondary schooling. And it's not sufficient to just say, well, look, I've got a, you know, I had a BA before I went and, and started working as a caregiver, like here's my degree. You're actually going to have to have that, uh, that education um, uh, uh, assessed by an education credential assessment report by a Canadian agency. There are a few of them. I think there are about six. Uh, we're getting into the nitty-gritty here yeah but no uh, right that's now. that's but, fine you know, i'm the, assuming those are the same uh, those are the same organizations then that that would do it for express entry for example is absolutely it yeah yes yeah. exactly and uh and you also need to have um you've got to have documented skills in in one of our official languages uh for like 99 percent of my care caregiver clients that's in english and you need to have a cbl score of five on your lsat exam um now, it used to be that you were able to get a work permit to come to Canada as a temporary foreign worker without having to demonstrate all of this stuff. But under the new program, uh, you now need to have a qualified job offer from a Canadian employer. You need to be able to do document your work experience in caregiving in, in under NOC 4411 or 4412. You need to have, have those IELTS exam results in hand. So you're going to have to have written the exam and gotten a minimum band score of CBL5. And that's and, and that's in all abilities. So it's not like yes. you can have better speaking and listening and lower reading and writing. It's across the board CLB five. That's right, across the board CLB five. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's the minimum that you're going to need. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you're going to need to be able to show that post-secondary education with, uh, you know, with, a, with an, uh, an education credential assessment report, a C, um, an ECA, uh, uh, which can take some time to get. So, you got you know, you got to really be organized and prepared before you make these applications. So, that, that's, you know, if you meet all of that criteria, then you might be a caregiver in, in Canada one day. Um, but in order to do it, you're going to have to make an application. Uh, under this new pilot program, and that's really complex. Now, it isn't actually the only way to become a caregiver in Canada. In fact, there are many people who are presently here in Canada who didn't go through this new system, who are on temporary foreign work permits. Um, and, 
you know, and 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 of course, Quebec being Quebec has a whole special situation. Uh, this is the, the terrible pun I use is that you know you need an acceptance certificate to be accepted into into Quebec because Quebec is the exception to the rules. Um, mm-hmm. Cue laughter here. This is where we've been. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I told you it was a terrible pun. I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you want to just ju- if I should just jump into yeah. what has changed. Yeah, do uh, please do because it's a okay. it's a pretty significant shift, you know. And yeah, it, it's uh, you huge. know at the end of the day, it all comes down to you know the, the feedback that the government got and that they actually listened to from the community, which basically which awesome. said you know Bullhead. look caregivers if they're good enough to work, they're they're good enough to stay. And, exactly. uh, and so that's kind of been one of the pillars, I guess, to some extent with, with why they've decided to try to make this shift. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So dive in and tell us a little bit okay. more about it. So one of the problems that were, there's a, there were a couple of problems with the, with the caregiver program before this new version was created. Uh, one of which is that folks were invited here to come and take care of the elderly and take care of the children, but they had to come alone. They couldn't bring their families with them. So we had this awful situation. We had people coming from halfway around the world to come to work in Canada in other people's homes, but having to leave their own children behind, which is, uh, I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah, that's cruel it, and it's heartless incredibly as far cruel. as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was It was really, uh, you know, it, it didn't uh, It didn't sit well with with any of us who were processing these applications, and it certainly wasn't something that the uh, the caregivers really relished, but that was what you had to do. And, you know, as as you know from, from working in immigration, when people make the decision that they want to build a better life in Canada, they're, they're, they're prepared to make sacrifices. And so yeah, many nice. of these caregivers made the sacrifice of having to leave their own children behind to come to Canada to work. And you needed to work for a minimum of two years in Canada. And that, when I say minimum of two years, you have to be able to show that you were employed in a full-time capacity for a, a period of 24 months in in the uh, the preceding – first it was the preceding four years. Now it was the preceding three years. Nevertheless, um, if you lost your job, uh, you were in this awful situation where you're here in Canada. You had a right to be here, but you had to find another job, and the clock would stop. So you could, be, you could have worked for 23 months and then lose your job, and you'd have to wait until somebody else gave you a job and go through the entire application process for a new work permit to to get that clock running again so that you could go ahead and make an application for permanent residence. And only then, when you were qualified for permanent residence, then your family could come and join you. And so you that can, was yeah, really Yeah, and you difficult. can see the terribly precarious position that put people in. You oh, know, absolutely. They, they, were, they had this unbelievable um, pressure to stay with a real, you know, with, with what could potentially have been just a horrible working environment. Because the end result, if they could just make this sacrifice of putting up with the, you know, terrible working conditions, mm-hmm. um, that there would be this hope of permanent residence and then, you know, being unshackled and freed. And I know I'm a little dramatic with this, but the, the reality is you can see why, you know, this program was so ripe for exploitation because they were willing to put up with so much just because of what was at stake. Indeed. And I, I'm really fortunate in my practice in that uh, most of 
all of the caregivers I've worked with have reported to me that they are well treated and that uh, that they they had no fear that you know they were gonna they were gonna be exploited um, or that they were gonna be uh, you know forced to to work in conditions that weren't acceptable. But we do know that these types of things did happen. Um, I'm just really lucky that in 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 my case, my my um, my clients tended to be the employers, and so I knew before a, a caregiver was was hired uh, what kind of a family we were dealing with. And you know, if I ever felt like mm, something sketchy about this, I could make it you know a, a critical decision or, or offer some advice before we got down the road of having somebody living in in a in a an environment that wasn't ideal. Um, but luckily for me, that never really happened, yeah. at least to me. Yeah, that and, said, and that's a that's a great we position know to be happening. in. Yeah. You know? And that's the reality uh, too. They they rarely, rarely will um, you know, individuals that are in those types of uh, you know, borderline human trafficking situations well, they got in that position because, well, they had no interaction with us, right? Exactly. They, were just, uh, they just didn't understand what their rights were. They didn't understand what was acceptable and what wasn't. And in many cases, they came from countries where that type of practice was, was routine. So, Indeed. you know, coming here, well, that gets, this is just the life of a, of a you know, a live-in caregiver. Exactly. And so a lot of my clients have come here. Most of my client base is, is actually originally from the Philippines. Um, and uh, many of my clients came to Canada from, uh, not from the Philippines directly, but from jobs in Hong Kong yeah. or in Dubai, yeah, Dubai. Uh, or elsewhere in the United Arab, uh, Arab Emirates and are very surprised to see working conditions here in Canada are very, very different. And it's it, it takes some adjustment to realize that you don't need your employer's permission to, you know, to go out in your, in your, on your off hours that you, you know, that you're, you, you're, you're allowed, you're allowed, quote unquote, you're allowed to hold on to your own passport, uh, that, you know, you're, you're going to, um, benefit from all of the, the social, uh, uh, um, safety networks that we have here in Canada. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gratified that that is the case, that people are happily surprised that things are better here than elsewhere. Um, but that does give you an idea of, of, of uh, the types of things that people will, will put up with because they think they have to, because yeah. that's their previous experience in other countries. Yeah. And on that note, Mark, I should say, and this is an important thing for, for us, uh, for our legal practitioners to know, that in addition to creating this new program for the pilot, um, for the uh, for the permanent residency pilots, uh, the the government did also recently create at the same time a um, an open work permit. Uh, which can be applied for for people who are in this precarious situation uh, under, you know, they're here on work permits under the uh, Temporary Foreign Worker Program, and they are in a situation where they are being taken advantage of. Uh, they don't have to stay in those jobs, and they can apply for an open work permit, which is which is, uh, which is is processed on an expedited basis, um, and the application process is, is fairly simple. So, uh, in, if anybody uh, listening to the podcast knows a client who is in this kind of situation or, or is a client in this kind of situation, know that there is help. And you should not be afraid to, first of all, uh, uh, reach out to a legal pro uh, professional if you aren't one, uh, to contact Service Canada if uh, if you're working under an LMIA and the conditions of that LMIA are not being met. Uh, and, and know that you do not have to stay in that, in that situation. If you need to leave because you're being treated unfairly or unsafely, you can file for an open work permit, which will arrive very quickly uh, and allow you to to go and work for somebody else uh, without going through the entire process of applying for 
uh, a new labor market impact assessment, which actually you can't do outside of Quebec now anyway, or or even having to go through this enormous uh, new pilot program that we're about to talk about. So there is help uh, for folks who are, who are in, in trouble. Um, and if you need any, any more information about that, obviously you can contact Immigration Canada uh, or Mark or me. You bet. And we'll make sure that yeah. we put some information uh, that people can access to point them in the right direction within the show notes. So thanks for bringing for that sure. up. That's really no good worries. insight. Now, that said, ta- you know, speaking now of, of, uh, of folks who are not uh, mistreated and are happy in their employment and they're looking forward to uh, or, 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 or would be happy to come to Canada and are looking forward to come here and be permanent residents, um, there are there is some good news. The, the new program has a lot of, uh, of changes that are improvements in addition to this new open work permit for uh, for workers who are in in, uh, in jeopardy. Um, if you're just a traditional caregiver and you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, I want to I want to come to Canada, and you looked at the whole system, say a year or two ago, and you said, oh, I need to find an employer who's got a labor market impact assessment allowing them to hire me. Uh, that's no longer the case. Um, if you are outside of Quebec, your employer does not need to go to Service Canada and get approval to hire you as a caregiver anymore which is fantastic because the processing times of those things, as you know, uh, and if you've listened to this podcast before, I've, I've heard you talk about this, yeah. um, they can be pretty extraordinary, six, eight months, I mean, a long time for a labor market impact assessment. Uh, additionally, your work permit is no longer tied specifically to your employer. If you're given a work permit under the new caregiver program, your work permit is what they call uh, occupation specific. So you can come to Canada and you can be a caregiver, but you do not have to stay with the employer that has originally offered you a job. You can take another job, which means that if you're not happy in the, in, in the job you're in uh, or the family that has hired you doesn't want to keep hiring you because they no longer need you or their circumstances have changed or there just isn't a, a good fit, uh, you can go and find another job as a caregiver elsewhere and you don't have to leave the country nor do you have to go through an enormous process to get uh, a new work permit. You just apply uh, with a simplified process for a new work permit. Um, no, I'm sorry. You don't even need to do that. You just take your the work permit you have and your occupation and just move to another move job, to another job which bet. is great. Yeah, which great for the employers, I mean, employees rather. Not so great for the employers, exactly. many of whom foot the bill and put in the time and the energy to make this whole thing happen. So if you're a potential employer, you should be aware that, uh, you know, that there is a possibility that once your employee arrives, if they do not want to stay with you, they, they can just go elsewhere and leaving you without somebody to assist you with your family. And so that's kind of a pitfall for the employers, but a win for the employees and, uh, and a little bit of a shift in the way that things used to be done. Now, on that um, note, Matt, um, mm-hmm. do you have any experience or do you have any idea about how long these initial applications are taking overseas? So well, for example, that, if you've got an employer gonna... who says, uh, you know, that you've got an employer who says, yeah, okay, let's, what are my options? Can you advise me? So how long is it going to take to get this person? So ah, I, I've heard some rumblings question. that it could be up to a year or so, but, uh, you know, what, what, what is your take on that? Okay, so the real, real answer is we don't know yet. Because the program is so new that if you, for example, go and contact CIC or IRCC or you go on the website and, and actually check to see what the application time is now, um, in the the general program description, it says up to 12 months for a temporary work permit, right? Not for the full PR application, but yeah. just for the temporary work permit. And if, But if you go to the, the visa-specific uh, or the, the visa office-specific um, uh, uh, processing times page, it just says programs too new. We don't know. 
<laughs> so what do we tell our clients? Well, at this point, I'm telling people that they should be prepared for this to take up to a year. And that's a long, long time to wait for somebody. If you have, if you need a, you know, a, a caregiver like yesterday, um, so it is our hope that as the program becomes sort of uh, stabilized, as more applications come in, uh, that the processing time will not be nearly a year. I'm not, I, I, to be honest with you, I can't imagine why it would take a full year, but. One of the reasons it is taking as long as it, it potentially – or they think it will take this long is because it's no longer just an application for a work permit. It is actually a, a, like a like a pre-clearance on permanent residency. And so it's my understanding that what they're doing is basically if you have a job offer in Canada to come to Canada as a caregiver and you make an application under this program, they will let you come to Canada on a work permit, but they're going to do all the work up front. So that once you have the two years of work experience that you need to qualify for permanent residency, you just need to submit proof of that work and your permanent residency application is already is already been processed. So you'd get PR kind of – I wouldn't say immediately but very, very fast as opposed to the way that things used to work where you'd come for two years and then you'd have to make the application and then wait for God only knows it could up to be you know could six, six months or a year to get your permanent residency. Under the old system, you'd have to wait until that application for your family to join you. But under the new system, your family can join you right away. When you put in your application for your work permit and for your preclearance in your permanent residency, you can put in a, a work permit for your spouse, uh, and for and, and under certain uh, conditions, you can you can put in applications for your children as well. Um, so if you need work permits for uh, for a spouse or study permit for a spouse, that's something you can do right away. Um, and your kids can come too. So where people used to have to come and wait for two years at plus, plus, plus for their kids to be in Canada, now at least everybody is coming together. But the downside is that processing all of those uh, those work permits, study permits, or, or, or um, associated uh, dependents does take more time. And so that's – I think that's why IRCC is hedging their bets and saying processing time is going to be a year because uh, you know everyone's happy if they come in under those processing times. But as soon as you get over them, everybody is upset. So if they you know shoot high and then come in under, there's no problem. Yep. But I, don't, I think they want to give themselves a little room. Indeed. Under-promising and, and over-delivering. Exactly. Excellent. So it's a good good rule to live by in uh, in, in in legal practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We just don't like it when the government does it. Right. You know, yeah. it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, when I think about this process now from an employer perspective, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have an employer who comes into my office and they and they say, well, just a family, whatever it might be, and they say, look, we'd like to bring in a, a caregiver. They probably refer to them as a live-in caregiver because that's what everybody mm-hmm. knows it by. And they say, okay, so what's involved? And, and I present it to them. Then they say, okay, well, how long does it take till the, I can get this person? Well, it could be up to a year. Oh, okay. Uh, and then I inform them that, you know, they have a, an occupation-specific work permit. So if they come and they don't necessarily like the fit, they can just shift over to someone else. And that's a hard 
message to deliver. And I think it that's is. one of the challenges that uh, that we're going to experience with this program is that it's going to be hard even for us as counsel to to advise employers, especially when they're so desperate for someone now and then to wait a full year and the person is only, you know, they, it doesn't work out after a week and they move on and then they're back at square one and to, to gone through the process, all the expense, the time, the resources. So it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out and hopefully it's not going to be a year, but we'll see. We will. Now, there are a couple of shortcuts here. Uh, if you are in, in a situation where you you really, really need to hire somebody and you need to hire somebody like right now. I mean, obviously, you can hire a Canadian or someone with permanent residency status. But, you know, if you're talking to an immigration lawyer, it's because you need to bring in a caregiver from overseas because you can't find anybody else to take that job. So we then have to look around in Canada and say, well, where in Canada could we find somebody who's already here, who isn't yet a permanent resident but might want to be, who could qualify under this program that I might be able to 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 hire faster. And one of those places is actually Quebec because, and this is where we're going to get into the terrible pun, Quebec exception, <laughs> this new caregiver program does not apply at all in Quebec. In fact, in order to qualify for this program or if you wanted to uh, re- quote-unquote redeem your two years of work that you've already done as a caregiver and claim permanent residency now under the, 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 the last iteration of this program, you have to leave Quebec. You, you can't stay in Montreal or, or any of the surrounding communities. you got to go to a different province. Um, so I have a number of clients who have come to me to say, well, you know, I've got my two years done and I want to be a permanent resident now. You know, what do I do? And I've got to say to them, well, I'm really sorry, but if your French isn't good enough for you to be able to pass the French exam and stay in Quebec under the Quebec Experience Program, and in most cases, that's, that is the situation, you're going to have to leave the province. That said, you can apply for permanent residency, or you could apply under, for permanent residency under the, the in-home caregiver program and this weird little t- uh, interim program that they created over the summer, which is now closed. And it, 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 was a, it was there for a hot second and it's gone, but you can still apply with your work experience under this new um, home child care provider program. Uh, um, or home support worker pilot, uh, if you've got two years of work experience already done in the last three years and you're willing to settle or you're intending to settle outside Quebec. You can even make that application by declaring that you intend to go uh, out of province and start looking for a job. So at this point, we don't believe that that, uh, Immigration Canada is going to uh, actually uh, let people land and give them their PR cards unless they are have already relocated. Um, but uh, there are a number of Quebec caregivers that have come through my office and and uh, and, and certainly uh, other practitioners who are in the same field here who are looking for jobs outside of uh, of Quebec who are already pre-qualified. And um, in theory, if they left if they make an application for uh, permanent residency while they're still here and looking for a job, they can actually get a bridging an open uh, sorry a, a bridging, a bridging open, open work, work permit. permit. Mm-hmm once they actually are moving. So uh, there is hope for uh, families outside Quebec who really need caregivers and don't know where to look and cannot wait a year. There may be candidates looking for jobs in your community who are all who are, are presently in, in Quebec. Uh, th- th- finding those people is a whole other story. Um, that's not really you know, my, my, uh, my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I but I'd encourage people to to uh, to use social media and uh, and to reach out to um, 
to employment agencies in Quebec to find out if they know of anybody, uh, because you might be pleasantly surprised to find that there's someone just waiting to come and join you and your family and be an in-home caregiver for you right away, because they absolutely need that job in order to to get their permanent residency finalized. Now, meanwhile, that's going to create a bit of a vacuum here in Quebec. What do we do about Quebec? Well, this is where we get into the Quebec exception. Quebec, of course, has its own rules on everything, and one of those is you know, deciding who's going to be a permanent resident in Quebec. And they did not decide to go along with the new um, home uh, child care provider or home support worker pilot programs. But the good news is they have kept the temporary foreign worker program alive here in Quebec. So if you're an employer in Quebec and you need to have a, uh, a home caregiver come and work for you, um, the, the system is the same as it was under the old program. The first thing you need to do is advertise the existence of this job for a period of a month through very specific type of advertising through uh, through um, Canada's Job Bank, which is a service of, uh, of Service Canada, as well as Emploi Quebec's website. And then you can choose from a number of different ways of, uh, of advertising to uh, specifically underemployed groups like uh, Aboriginal folks, um, uh, youth, uh, people with, uh, with disabilities, etc. And if after a month, uh, you are not able to find a caregiver that meets that criteria, a Canadian or permanent resident, then you may make an application for a labor market impact assessment as well. And you have to do this at the same time as a Quebec acceptance certificate, a CAQ, which has been confusingly renamed as a temporary selection certificate or a CST. Um, and so once you make those two uh, applications and you got to do them together at the same time, uh, Service Canada and their, their, um, their uh, counterparts at the newly and also in confusingly renamed MIFI, which is the Ministry of Immigration, Francization and uh, Integration. <laughs> Excellent. It used to be, yeah, this is, it gives you a flavor of the yes. current provincial government mm -hmm. here in Quebec, which just to make things extra confusing is also called the CAQ. Um, the party that forms government. <laughs> uh, so they recently changed their uh, – they're changing all kinds of immigration policy and they recently changed their name from the Ministry of Immigration, Diversity and uh, and, and, uh, and Inclusion to the Ministry of Immigration, Francization and Integration. Now, I think that kind of telegraphs this sort of um, overall um, agenda that they've got for Quebec. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, they will give out a, uh, a CST a, or a temporary selection certificate to qualified candidates who want to come to Quebec to work as caregivers for a period of up to two years. Then uh, this was the same process that was in place across the country up until, until like June. And so once you've got your labor market impact assessment and you've got your, your, your CST or CAQ document, then you can make an application for a work permit. Uh, now, for folks who are, are making applications for uh, caregivers who are not in Canada, this is something that would be done through uh, an overseas visa office, uh, or preferably, you would uh, speak to an immigration practitioner, or you know, call me. Um, at the show notes, I'll have my contact information, and I can help you to do that uh, using an online system through our our, um, our paid representative portals, uh, which is a little faster and a little more efficient than trying to make an application on paper to. Uh, you know, or, or, or to make an application online to a, an overseas visa office. Um, after, well, depending on which visa office you are applying to, after some months, uh, you will receive a, a work permit for your employer or your employee who can then come to Canada and be your employee. But 
uh, there's a couple of things you've got to make sure you take care of. You've got to make sure to pay for private insurance until they get onto the Medicare system. Um, you've got to pay their airfare, uh, and you cannot be claiming it back from future wages or asking people for for a payment for airfare. That's on you as the employer. You've got to you've got to pay for that. And of course, you have to meet all of the standard uh, labor rules in uh, in Quebec and in Canada. Because uh, you know, just because someone's here on a work permit doesn't mean that they are not entitled to the same protections as as everybody else. There, the, the days of insisting that people live in your home are over. They that is an option, uh, but you can't force anybody to live with you if if that's not what they want to do. But if it works for both parties and they want to, they want to live in your home and you want them to live in your home, then you do have to meet certain criteria to make sure that they've got their own room that's furnished, that has you know a proper exit in case of a fire and a window and, and a lock on their door so they have privacy and you know there's there's a bunch of rules that you you need to follow to make sure that people are well uh, well treated. Um, after two years' time, uh, the work permit will expire. And then, of course, if things don't change and looks right now like they're not going to change, then uh, you're going to have to go through that entire whole process all over again, starting from the labor market impact assessment all the way through to applying for an extension or renewal of the work permit. If you are a caregiver in Quebec and your employer has waited too long to do this six to nine month process and your work permit is going to expire, there is a little bit of a trick that I can give you that you can actually benefit from implied status but you have to already have an LMIA and CAQ in process so if you are more than one month from the expiry of your work permit there's you've still got some time if your work permit is going to expire within a month of the day that you realize oh we need to exp- uh, to to um to exp- uh, to extend this thing then you've got a real problem because what you're going to have to do is make sure that advertising is done for four weeks and the application for the labor market impact assessment and the CAQ are made. And by the way, they have to be made or – yeah, they have to be made on paper with original signatures for, for the Quebec government. You cannot send a photocopy. There's no scan you can send in. You can't send a fax. You've got to actually send in a physical uh, package. Um, Service Canada is a little bit more liberal. They will sometimes accept things by fax, but I always send them in as a paper application just to make sure that that we're consistent across the board. And you got to make sure to include a copy of that labor market impact assessment with the CAQ application to give it to uh, to to uh, NIFI, or they will kick it back to you and say, no, 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 we don't like this. You need to give us a whole a whole a copy of what you've given to the federal government. So you can. If you have those applications submitted, and you can prove that you've submitted them because, of course, you sent them by either registered mail uh, or FedEx or by courier, uh, you can include a copy of the application and prove that you've submitted it, or preferably the actual letter of reception, which takes about a month to get. Um, And you can do a paper application for a work permit extension, and you can send it into Edmonton with a letter explaining that you have an LMIA or CAQ in process. And they will allow – they will accept your work permit application and you will get implied status until the LMIA and CAQ are issued. And then you've got to send those LMI, the LMIA and the CAQ to uh, Edmonton so that they can finish the processing of your application. Now, if 90 days go by and you have not updated them as to what's going on with your CAQ or your LMIA, they might just close your file. So uh, a good general rule for practitioners is set a calendar date and every 60 days, send a letter 
to Edmonton saying, you know, the file for my client is still in process. We're still waiting for the labor market impact assessment. We're still waiting for the CAQ. As soon as we have it, we're going to send it. Please hold the file open. And IRCC has been very understanding about the fact that the labor market impact assessments and the CAQs just seem to take forever. And they will almost always just wait on your application and let you continue to work with implied status. Every once in a while, something goes wrong, and then you've got to ask your your legal practitioner to, to ask for reconsideration or file for restoration status. But that's that's really the exception, not the rule. Um, I, I realize this went into a, into a real tangent here. On no, what to do if, you're, no, no, if no. your work permit is going to expire, but that's yeah. that's a that's a pretty big tip of no, what, it is. what you got to do. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. And and that's yeah. another that you know that leads into our you know to a large extent into our next section. And I know you've talked a little bit about this in different ways, but. You know, there's a lot of people that are here already, right? Mm-hmm. That that uh, they're they've been working as caregivers in Canada, and and they may still have some pathways for them through the old programs. How does mm-hmm. that play in with these legacy programs and for folks that are already here? Well. There's two legacy programs that exist at the moment. Uh, if you are fortunate enough to have come in under the old, old live-in caregiver program, uh, then you can apply for a permanent residency in Quebec or across the country. Uh, the, you, you, all you really need to do is, is make an application for PR demonstrating your work experience. Uh, you will, if you're in Quebec, have to wait for a, a permanent Quebec selection certificate, which of course takes four ever to get. The federal government will, will, will ask Quebec for it. They will eventually send you an, an, uh, an application package, which you either have to fill out and submit with some fees. And eventually, they will issue you a CSQ. And then your permanent residency application will continue. And so the processing time can be between six months and a year. Um, for the rest of the country, it's about six months. Uh, and you then can apply, you know, uh, you include your relatives, or that is to say your dependents and your spouse, on that application. Uh, and as soon as you get your COPR, you can make plans for them to come land in, in, in Canada. They will, of course, have to do uh, medicals uh, if, they're, if they're in the category of people who would need medicals. Um, you'll need to show police clearances. Uh, the standard permanent residency stuff that you'd have to do, if it's it's sort of akin to or similar to a spousal sponsorship application, except you're, you're demonstrating your work experience. That's for the very, very old program. There are very few of those clients that are yeah, coming better. to see me these days. Everybody who could, most people who could have claimed this have already done it. I've already so. done it, yeah. If you are... Uh, if you have two years of work experience and you fit into the um, the old in-home caregiver program, then you basically follow the same rules as what you would do under the new pilot program after you've got your work experience. So if you are if you're already here in Canada, you've got your two years of work experience, and you're you know everything else lines up, you can demonstrate that you've got your work experience. You've got your uh, education. That is the minimum criteria of one year of post-secondary Canadian equivalent, and you've able to score a minimum five on your English language test. You've got to get all your documents together. And of course, you need to, to, to fill out many, many forms to, to give them all the information they need about your family, uh, your travels, your history, police clearances from everywhere you've ever lived more than six months, etc. And you put all that together and you send it in on paper. You cannot do an online application to my knowledge at this point. Uh, and you send it into Edmonton um, under the, the new program. That would be um, basically the same as, as uh, an application for somebody who is 
thinking about coming or has been offered a job in Canada and is going to come and work for two years to qualify. The, 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 the application itself is the same. The only difference is that if you've already got the two years of work experience, then it's basically just a PR application. Uh, if you don't have the two years of, of experience, then you're applying for pre-clearance for PR, and then later on, you're going to send in the second half, the, the documentation of your work experience, along with uh, additional documents uh, for um, – uh, gosh, what would you need? Uh, maybe uh, you know. Actually, there's a question mark here that, that I, I haven't been able to find a clear answer on yet, and that's the question of proof of funds. Yeah, you did not need proof of funds as a live-in caregiver. You did not need proof of funds under the interim pathway programs that were open for like a hot second this summer. It is unclear to me at this point as to whether or not you will need to show a proof of funds for settlement under the new program, but it appears as though it would only be at the point where you are being asked or you are asking for your permanent residency. So you don't need to do it. You don't need to show proof of funds if you don't have work experience and you're just applying for pre-clearance and your temporary work permit. I just don't know yet whether you're going to need it to, to, to actually qualify for permanent residency. That is an open question that we're still trying to get clarity on because to my knowledge, nobody's gotten that far yet, or at least no one I've talked to. Well, I'm so, sure there's a lot of areas that are going to be... Uh... You know, we're going to be learning a lot about these programs, especially these pilots here over the next little while as, you know, the theory is put into practice. So maybe, you know, this is awesome. You've taken just a, a, an unbelievable amount of, of information and condensed it down. Uh, I think um, it's going to be extremely, extremely helpful to the listeners. Maybe we could wrap up with sure. just a few tips and tricks, maybe that uh, you know some of the common errors or a problem, sticky issues that come up that would really help our listeners to uh, to be aware of. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I'm going to advise, and, and I advise this pretty much with all work permits across the board, is you make sure to double check your local visa office. And when I say local, I mean to say your home country's local visa office's specific checklist for work permits and include whatever documents they ask for, as well as the stuff that's on the general checklist. People frequently forget to do that. And as a result, their applications are either just refused or there's incredible delays in processing times because you're applying to, for example, the Hong Kong visa office and you didn't give them your employer's proof of financial capacity. And if you don't do that, then, well, even though it's not on the general checklist, they're going to say, well, nope, sorry, we don't, we're, we're not confident your employer can afford to have you, even though they, they've given you a job offer. Um, so, you know, even if the uh, the general checklist doesn't include that that uh, those specific um, documents, make sure to check the local office uh, and and give them. I, I, I'm a big believer in give them everything plus. So if you think they might need it or it could be useful, give it to them. But always, 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 always put a cover letter in there explaining what it is you're doing and why you're doing it so that there can be no confusion or no possibility that two pieces of paper get stuck together somewhere and they just miss a document because it's listed in your cover letter as well as put in a copy of the checklist as well with all the little boxes checked so that you can demonstrate that you have complied with what they've asked for. Awesome. Um, upfront medicals. Uh, in some cases, getting uh, a work permit does not require you to get the medical until they ask for one. They always, 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 always do. 
Go find your panel, your panel position. Get your medical done before you apply. It's going to save you a lot of time on the back end. And the same thing is true of police clearances for anywhere that you've lived as an adult for more than six months cumulatively over the course of your life. So if you have been working, for example, in Hong Kong and you worked for four months and then you went back to the Philippines and you lived there for five years and then you went back to Hong Kong and you worked there for two more months, well, you've now hit that six that uh that six month mark you're going to need a police clearance so you got to make sure to get that hong kong is a very special case now that i mention it make sure to check what you need to do to get a hong kong police clearance because you need a special letter from canada to get one it gets really complicated take the time to to look through what it is you need to figure that out um in quebec well this is actually true of everywhere now you're going to need to show proof of your experience uh you need to have letters of reference and work contracts or or or, uh, or tax documents something to prove that you've done the work that you say you've done to qualify as a caregiver in quebec you need that for your caq um to get a, a temporary work permit and the rest of the country you're going to need that to get your your uh, your peer PR preclearance in order to get your work permit. So either way, before you start making applications, go ask your old employers for reference letters if you can. Gather all of those things together and submit them all at once rather than trying to put it together piecemeal or trying to start an application and realizing, oh no, I can't prove that job that I had. I need to you know, stop everything and go get a, get a, you know, a reference letter and, and it's going to delay you uh, in making your application. Excellent. Yeah. So those are those are the keys. And then, of course, the last part is um, as as difficult as it may be to do, especially if you're a caregiver and you're on a tight budget. If you have a question or a concern, if there's something here that you do not understand, it is always best to speak to a legal practitioner. Um, I I would prefer you to speak to a lawyer uh, if you if you have a really really competent immigration consultant that you do need to check um, because not all consultants are not all lawyers are created equal uh, some of them aren't as, as reliable as you may think uh, you need to you need to speak to somebody who's licensed to do this work travel agents are not uh, your friend in the uh, you know who you met at the park who did PR five years ago does not necessarily know the latest and uh, you know uh, ideas of what's going on many caregivers rely on informal networks to you know or family members to get the information they need and make huge mistakes because they relied on somebody they trusted who wasn't qualified to, to give that advice. So if ever you have a question or a concern about the nature of your application, it is always better, even if it's a little expensive, to speak to somebody who's licensed to do the work than to just, you know, put whatever you think is best in an envelope and send it off and pray because yeah. prayer is extremely powerful, but it doesn't necessarily get you a work permit if you forgot a critical document. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Well, Matthew, I really, really appreciate the time that you've taken to to share this insight. It's been really, really informative. I know for me, I don't do a lot of caregivers. And so uh, just to have a better idea of what's transpired, where we've come from, where we're headed, and the reality that there's quite a bit of uncertainty out there, it's uh, it's been really, really helpful. So when these um, these fine individuals run into these walls and have these questions, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Oh, definitely by email. So if you email me at matt, M-A-T-T, at adesky, 
A-D-E-S-S-K-Y.com. And I think Mark's going to put up that email address in the show notes. Shoot me an email. If I uh, if it's a really simple, straightforward question uh, that'll take me to a couple of minutes, I'll just I'll just tell you what you need to know. In most cases, uh, I, I offer a uh, an one-hour consultation to review people's situations and to give them some, uh, some guidance on what they need to do if they don't need to or want to hire a lawyer to actually represent them. Uh, and then, of course, if uh, if you if you want to have this thing taken care of from A to Z and make sure that absolutely everything goes off without a hitch, speak to um, speak to your your local uh, immigration lawyer. Call Mark, uh, mm-hmm. or or by all means, please email me and uh, let me know how I can help you. I'd be pleased to to uh, to offer my services. Uh, I do it on a flat fee. Um, for for representation end to end, so I, at least that way you can you can budget and make sure that your family is prepared for the for the legal fees as well as the filing fees that are uh, for this um, the filing fees for these applications can be uh, considerable. So uh, you got to plan that in advance too. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, uh, Matt. I really really appreciate it. It was great having this insight, and uh, yeah, I, I uh, I'm sure that you will be definitely contacted uh, going forward given the complete new regime that we're under here. So well, thanks. I really hope so. I'd be happy to help anybody who needs help, especially if there's other legal practitioners who just want to, you know, kibitz about the about this program. But by all means, please give me a give me a contact me at any time, and I'd be happy to help if I can. And uh, before I go, Mark, can I just do say one last yeah, thing? Absolutely. Is that I've been I've been making my kids listen to your podcast as I drive them to school every day. <laughs> so I just wanted to say hi, Abby. Hi, Nelly. Uh, <laughs> see, I told you I was going to be on the podcast, and here I am. <laughs> awesome! Fantastic! All right. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for joining me and and you take care. You too, Mark. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, thanks for hanging in there. That was a very, very long episode, probably one of the longest that I've recorded to date. But those of you who practice in this area, whether you're immigration lawyer, consultant, or just caregiver yourself, who's listening to this from overseas, the information that Matt shared here was invaluable. And he went into depth in in, in ways that I've never, ever had a guest do. So I hope that you enjoyed this. Make sure that you reach out to Matt if you have further questions or would like to uh, hire someone to help you. Um, when guests go to this extent to provide such amazing content, um, I definitely, definitely want to encourage you to use their services. So this is uh, episode 71 coming to an end, and I've got a bunch of other ones coming up. I just finished recording that will be released here in the next episode episode 72, um, a special episode with an amazing organization called Windmill uh, Windmill Microlending. And uh, they're doing some really cool things for Newcomers to Canada, a nonprofit organization that just, boy, anything I can do to help promote them and to educate all the rest of you folks out there that they exist, uh, they're just providing a great resource to newcomers who are um, trying to find their way through the various uh, regulatory bodies and credential recognition associations and all the pitfalls and the costs and everything associated with that. So I don't want to uh, take away too much from uh, from the intro on that next episode, but it's one you're definitely going to want to pay attention to and listen to. And we also have our episodes coming with uh, Rick McNutt on the whole immigration uh, appeal world and all of the various bodies that... Uh, Uh, we can access when things go south for our clients. So hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, if you have found this um, 
helpful in any way, go to iTunes and leave a review. I love that because it helps me to increase in the rankings and just helps the the podcast to get noticed a little bit more by those out there searching for immigration information. Um, I want to extend an invitation as always to anyone who has an idea for an episode that would like, uh, they would like to share or even who would like to join me just as Matt did, um, because I had not really known Matt prior to him reaching out to me, but obviously it was totally worth the time having him join us. All right, guys, this is, uh, the end of this episode. Thanks for tuning in. And I want to wish you guys all the best as you navigate this world of immigration policy, practice, and, well, I guess it's law. Boy, did I mess up that outro. (laughs) Take care, guys. I think it's time for me to have a nap. (laughs) See ya. Your phone.